Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing, health and healing, is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know, and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. My guest Randall Elefano talks with me about vulnerability, love, and spirit. Randall does psycho-spiritual counseling here in the Bay Area. Tune in as he talks about the merging of psychology and spirituality, and hear us celebrate the notions that your spirit never gives up on you, and that you can always return to it, and to your home. I'm Randall Elefano. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I'm an ordained minister. So I integrate psychology and spiritual as best I can. Well, that is a perfect lead in <laughs> to how you hold this thing that we're doing. You're helping people towards something, to be something. Where, where do you begin when I ask that question? Well, when I saw the title, the first thought I had was, I think healing wounds, it's the wrong metaphor. My sense is we borrowed those terms from allopathy. That's, you know, psychology came from medicine. And we took from medicine their lexicon. Uh, so when someone's wounded in their arm, they have a gash, it has to be healed. It has to be sutured or something. I actually don't think that's how the psyche, the spirit works. So I think our whole field is using a metaphor that actually gets in the way of what we really need from each other. People talk about being wounded. My experience is people aren't actually wounded. They're hurt, they're alone, they're sad, they're traumatized. But the metaphor of a wound or illness, it's all about diagnoses and how to treat a disorder. And it's a bit horrifying for me that it's becoming even further reduced into diagnose the disorder and treat the disorder. Again, I think borrowing from allopathy instead of what's really occurring in the room. And, and so give me what's really occurring, like what, yeah, how, what words would you choose instead? I think that's why, since I was in high school, I wanted to integrate psychology and spirituality. Psychology without spirituality lacks depth and breadth, and spirituality without psychology lacks the specificity and the, the real knowledge about what it's like to be traumatized, for example, as a child. So when I work with people who, for example, were traumatized or severely traumatized as children, what I pick up mostly is that they're alone. And they don't know how to go back and find themselves. And I feel like that's a lot of the work I do, is I help people go back and find what Winnicott called the true self. We're not wounded, we're misidentified. We think we're the defenses we created to protect ourselves from the trauma, 
and the work I think is to help people see that oh I actually don't want to be this defensive I want to find the vulnerability underneath and again in my opinion that's the resting place for the real self the true self if you can and I imagine the true self is complex or is larger than perhaps words can hold but you Thank know you. what <laughs> <laughs> what for the sake of trying to put words on it. Yeah, what are we holding when we're starting to think of the true self? Like, I heard you use the word vulnerable. But yeah, what other ways would you try to color in the true self? Yeah, first of all, I think you're right. I think putting language on this is tricky at best. Hence spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, you know, it's the birthplace of creativity. I think it's where we can really make authentic contact with other. And I think we know it, probably you know it's working in your office. When someone drops down, there's a resonance, there's a certain frequency, if you will, where you don't need to ask any questions. You just know, oh, they just landed. This is where they live. They've come home. And it's, you know, where I've known people who they land, and suddenly it's, oh, I, I want to write a book. Or I need to learn how to salsa dance. Just these what might have seemed to them foreign concepts just pop up of, oh, that's, that's what coming home means, is I want to do this thing. And I never knew it before, but I know it now. And they have a fire in their belly about it. There's a passion that arises that just wasn't available to them. But it, again, in my opinion, it's always been there. But the defenses, the false self, the feeling like we have to protect ourselves doesn't allow us to drop down into it's beautiful what you're speaking to, and I totally relate to it and resonate with it. And some language that I'm thinking of, and tell me if this lands, is like how beautiful that there's a place that creates, that births, that brings us towards things. You know, so often I think people get caught running from things. I'm running from anxiety. I'm running from exactly. depression. I'm, we're trying to get away from but I sort of hear you talk about, no, there's this place in us that pushes us towards. What you say, I think, has a lot of wisdom to it, because I think the field is moving towards we have to get, help people get rid of anxiety. And I think of anxiety as the trailhead. Let's go into the anxiety. There's, you know, there's an old metaphor that is silly, but, you know, two kids open up a barn door, and it's head high in horseshit. And one kid says, oh, that's gross. And the other kid picks up a shovel and starts shoveling. And the first boy says, what are you doing? He goes, well, with all this horse shit, there must be a pony in here someplace. <laughs> that, we have to go into that which feels odious. Because that's the track through the defenses, to the vulnerability, to, again, what Winnicott called the true self. So, right, I think not only is there a, a self aching to be born. In fact, here's another tangent. I've worked with people who were ridiculously, horribly traumatized as children. And when I started working with them, and I was only two months into my practice when I was referred to someone like this, I didn't know what I was doing. And she taught me how to work with her, and what, without even knowing she was teaching me. And what I found extraordinary was, after all of this, she was already in her 50s, her spirit wasn't extinguished. She was still searching for some way to recapture her childhood so that she could live her life instead of always being worried when the next hit was going to come. And that was incredibly informative and instructive for me that if anybody should have just killed herself out of despair and hopelessness, it was her. But it was inextinguishable for her. And she taught me 
And she would say, oftentimes, don't give up on me. And I heard, I'm in here someplace. Even, no matter how I act out, she would cut herself, don't give up on me. And I took that as law. She knew exactly what she needed. Hang in there. And she came out. I mean, so beautiful. Like, I'm even moved in this moment hearing that story. And whether we want to put soul, spirit, whatever words, again, words fail us, right? (laughs) Really this mystical thing. But how nice to know that there is this thing in us, in a way that hasn't given up on us. Yes, exactly. That's a lovely way to put it. It hasn't given up yet. Yeah. I'm laughing inside because a part of me has always been like, okay, I want to talk to the maker because why don't we just default to just hanging in spirit? Like, it seems we have been designed either on purpose or not that we kind of, we we lose our connection or we get distracted. And I'm curious, like, what, what do you make that we can get lost from spirit or that we can get removed from it or... This is a question for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I feel like every religion struggles with this. Yeah. I can tell you a little story. I was hitchhiking through Europe, and um, I landed in this uh, Christian defense community, and I was searching for answers. I called leader of it. His name was Schaefer, and I said, I said, I tried motorcycles, and if I was going to build a motorcycle, I wouldn't put in a faulty carburetor. So if God made us in God's image, why are we all screwed up? And his answer was... That's a mystery, and we don't have the answers. And I thought, that's not enough. That, I don't, that doesn't work for me. And frankly, no answer has worked for me ever since. But what I know, you have children. Yeah. I have three boys. When they were young, they were their true self. And I watched, even with me and my wife, the mistakes we'd make, I'd watch them withdraw, pull back. And I could track, oh, we're doing it. We're, we're doing that which we loathe to do because of our own limitations or whatever, so that I, I was clear, these guys aren't traumatized by birth. They're good. And when we would anticipate that they needed feeding and my wife would put the baby to the breast, they would just relax. This beautific calm would come over them. So what I did believe was we weren't born with a faulty carburetor. We were born into a world that was faulty. And why we screwed up I don't know, but I know we do. But I know we're not born messed up. We're not born in pain, but we sure do hurt each other as we're growing up so that we have to defend ourselves in this way. And that's the tragedy. Do you have hope that the world is... (laughs) (laughs) This is where I come to accept that for reasons I cannot discern and aren't really okay with me, that I'm at peace with, this is what this incarnation is about. It's about this struggle for some reason. Like I said, that I don't understand, but I'm willing to take it on now. If I can't get an answer to the why, I certainly have an idea of the how. And if I could keep that focus for myself and my children and my clients, I'll be on my deathbed with a smile on my face. What do you find in holding the, the how? My answer at this moment, if, you, if you're here tomorrow, maybe we get it, just, just for the record, that I live it as best as I can, whether it's therapy or drumming or being with my kids or my lady. I hold that which is underneath. 
So if my partner is yelling at me or my task is to hear her, but not just the anger, that I know the vulnerability underneath. And that's the juicy stuff. That's where real connection is. So I don't have to get real reactive to it. And the same with clients. The reason why I'm 65 and have no desire to retire, even though all my colleagues want to retire, is I'm in love with the work. I think it's an incredible blessing. I feel so grateful that I get to sit with people through the day and help giggle with them, cajole them, tease them to drop down underneath their false identifications to aspects of them that enrich their lives and make them feel, if you will, closer to God, closer to themselves, closer to their partners. I go home and, and I, I literally will go to bed thinking, how did I land this gig? I come home happy that I get to be a part of this. So, gratitude. You remind me of a question that is somewhat behind this podcast. I hold this metaphor of like Johnny Appleseed. I'm hoping to throw these seeds of like helping people know there's more. Yeah. Helping remind them that they have spirit. <laughs> helping them know it can be better. And, and hopefully elicit people signing up for the work. But I'm wrestling with this question of like, how do we inspire people to know their spirit's still in there? To know that life tastes sweeter when you're touching it. That it, it's hard work. Why do the work, you know? You mean yeah. out in the world? Out in the world, yeah, or even in this room. When, you know, when people come in, how, how do we elicit the return to spirit? Well, see, I think it's easier when people come here. They're paying money. They have some <clears throat> desire that's coming through them already. And we just have to tap into that. Out in the world, just to be honest, I don't throw the seeds. Mm -hmm. I typically, I need to see that there's a spark in the other, that they're looking for something. And then if you think, oh, we're kindred spirits, me too. And now let the conversation ensue. But that's why I love this job is people come because there's some distress. There's some unrest. They're looking for something. And so there, there's already an opening. And to me, that's already something to be grateful for. Because there's a brother or sister wanting what I love, what I strive for in myself. And then it's a great relationship. I'm curious if you'd be open to sharing sort of your path here. Like, how did you return? How long is this podcast? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be in Europe. In a few days. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there a helpful cliff note version of, of yeah, how, what got me on this path? Yeah, what got you on your path or even just, just your own story? I, I totally align with you that it is a gift when people come into my office and the battle has already been won in a way. They're already looking. I don't know that I've given up yet on trying to inspire it. Spread the word. Spread the word. God bless. Um, <laughs> and part of, I think, what I'm asking here is I do think people's personal stories do help inspire. Well, I don't know. But what comes to mind is uh, I was raised in a family where my folks were constant. They were there. I never felt abandoned. But I felt like an alien. I was emotionally attuned. So it seems to me at a very early age, I was flummoxed by why they bumped their heads against each other, why my dad would get angry about such a thing, why my brothers would do what they did. It was perplexing to me. 
when I was uh, 16 years old, I learned about Transcendental Meditation, and I went right for it and loved it. Because even at that age, and actually younger, I was searching for something that would make me feel less alone, less alien in the world. And when I learned to quiet the mind, bits hit, you know, bits and pieces here and there, I would have moments of peace, of equanimity. And I thought, oh, from here, I can still see the world for what it is. It doesn't hurt so much. It's okay. We get to live our life the way we choose. And then that just threw me into a whole, I was going to say race, that's not the right term, but a walkabout, searching for why are we here? What is all this about? And then I had the great fortune when I was a junior in high school. I took a psychology class, and the teacher and I kind of fell in love. And I would, after every, every day after school, she and I would sit and have conversations about what is psychology and what's its intentions. And she really helped me find this path. From high school on, I knew I wanted to do psychotherapy in some form. I find myself sitting here, and even though I'm trying to hold, like, what question to ask you, I just feel this presence with you. And I want to name that, because I think that's in part what we're talking about. We can have this conversation, but there's just this place we can reside. And, and it sounds to me you were blessed with being someone aware of it very early on and stayed committed to yes. that awareness, Yes, which is beautiful. Oh, I can tell you another story. But before I do that, I want to tell you, in part, my presence is contingent on yours. So as soon as you sat down, I knew that this guy's showing up. He's here. He's really curious. He wants to get at what's true. And so it's contagious. <laughs> Thank you. So the story is, I did many ayahuasca journeys many, many years ago. And in one of the journeys, I experienced my birth. And... The image during the journey was, uh, I was I was just born, I was seeing through watery eyes, and I could see all these humanoid shapes, and I knew, I could feel they all had good intention, and there was a calm. And then I could feel none of them knew how to make contact, real contact, and I started screaming. And I mean, screaming. And that was it. That was the memory. And what it taught me was, we, I was conscious, even at birth, of the disconnect, and that was extraordinarily painful, perhaps because I had some inkling about where I just came from. I'm not sure about that part. <laughs> but what I'm sure about is I could feel, even though these folks were good folks, they didn't know how to really be with each other, and that was untenable for me. I just started screaming. Now, some could say, yeah, you were stoned on a drug. It's not how I experienced it. I experienced that I was shown what it was like at the point of birth just after birth I mean it seems to me and again my perspective and hearing your perspective but I think there is something beautiful when we think about human beings as deeply wanting to connect yes. and deeply lost in how to do it exactly yeah. it's heartbreaking and I think to use the word used earlier vulnerability is the pathway it's something my lady and I focus on all the time. What's the vulnerability here? Because we know, I know as soon as she's vulnerable, my heart cracks open. As soon as I'm vulnerable, her heart cracks open. And that's the work. It's that simple. Going back to something you sort of said, watching your kids, and, you know, I, my son is six, so we're still early in the process. I mean, I know psychology would probably say there's something about ego formation. There's 
as aware as I am, you know, my joke is, well, Tobias will someday have a therapist to fill in the holes. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just the game we're playing, right? Um, so, because I do think we come in so maybe not lost how to connect. My son doesn't feel like he's lost in how to connect. So we just, it's just the bumps and bruises along the way that just start callousing our skin and then we get into adulthood and suddenly we're much more playing this game of masks and is that kind of how yeah how well that's certainly the nature nurture concept as a psychology type i was totally into nurture yeah just exactly what you just said until i had that ayahuasca journey and and before that when my first sons were born they were twins because when my first son was born he came shooting out of the canal like a wet seal, just <laughs> so much so that the doc actually literally caught him flying out of the canal. It wasn't like, you know, pulled ahead. And my th- first thought was, oh, that's him, which confused me at first. And then when I watched him grow, that's who he was. And suddenly I thought, oh, so we are born with a certain nature. And I still don't know the right balance or if it undulates or... But I get a sense both are playing their part. However much nature plays its part, I think we on this planet screw it up <laughs> in our dreadful relations, in our missing each other, our bouncing up against each other, that pain begot, begets pain. So if we could get back to whatever that nature, that original part was, I think we're getting closer and closer to the true self. But it's hard when... Like you say, after 30 or so years, we're so calloused, it's hard to find what's underneath. I used a metaphor today with a client who really does hard work. And the metaphor was she's locked in a um, armor, uh, like a knight. And she could feel that, that she doesn't have real contact with the outside world. And because she's encased in metal, she can't quite feel herself either. And that, of course, brings great grief. The, the awareness that I'm so protected in this knight's armor that I can't even feel myself, let alone my partner, is a horrifying revelation. But at least at that junction, it's true. She's that closed off from herself. Your callous metaphor times two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And I imagine, I mean, even using that story, again, I'm always, uh, I think, thinking about what helps us move towards you know, I've been using the word healing, but I appreciate it just towards spirit, towards back to our self. And I am always struck by acknowledging where we are still starts to move us forward. Like even her awareness of being in the armor, not being able to feel herself, suddenly starts to deteriorate the armor, which is such an interesting, magical thing to me. Right. And see, that to me is a more helpful metaphor that the armor starts to dissolve, as opposed to her wound is healing. I think it actually sends the wrong message. People think they're literally wounded, or they have an illness that needs to be healed. And that's a very different metaphor from, oh, I can't feel myself, or my heart's not open, or you know, whatever the metaphor is going to be. It sends a different message, I think. Helping people know they're not wounded. Helping people know it's not, you're broken, exactly. you're not, yes. it's... it's it's returning to heart. It's finding who you really are. Is there other language you would use in that, or or that's 
that's the language. Like that. I, yeah. The phrase I like is coming home. Coming home. But yeah, it means the same thing. I'm even thinking about right the power of language. As much as I'm struggling here with you or trying to put language, I do think there's this interesting power of when we do try to name things. And coming home paints such a nice picture. Right. I have positive associations because I had a fairly positive home. <laughs> so coming home holds warmth and rest. What words are you drawn to? Like, I, I was drawn to warmth, rest. Well, again, I, I, I don't know. I think about what Winnicott, the true self. But the, again, all, I think there's all kinds of things that arise from home. Safety, creativity. You get to do what's right for you. Not in an entitled kind of way, I want, you know, some narcissistic kind of cathexis, but along the lines of, I would like a cup of tea. Ah, yeah, a cup of tea. <laughs> that there's an allowance for, uh, enough space for a desire to arise and be met or not. Oftentimes with folks, I'll suggest to them that their exercise for the week is 30 times a day. They have to ask themselves, what do I want right now? And they have to really listen. And the answer might be, I want to be on a beach in Kauai. Great. Okay, we're not going to get that, but that's a great suggestion. <laughs> and every once in a while, if it's, you know, I've got a half hour, I'd like some ice cream. Indulge it. Just say to that part of you that is letting you know what you want, we can do that. Because or else it's so easy to get caught up in our schedule, our busyness, the baby's crying again, that we lose touch with that little whisper that tells us what would fuel us in that moment, what would be home. And sometimes sitting, you know, down the block here on Solano, Having ice cream cone. Oh, yeah. That's home. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And what, it, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great question and even a daunting question, you know, sometimes to really sit, what do I want? I know for myself, sometimes I've gotten such out of a practice of that. Yes. That sometimes I don't even know where to begin yes. to answer that question. Exactly. That's why I say 30 times a day. <laughs> And I said, you know, it could be a three-second exercise. It doesn't have to be a big process. But ask the question. You know, we're going towards that being inside the knight's armor. What would make you feel good right now? And it may just be, can I just take a breath? Yeah, you take a breath. Can I listen to that song? Yeah, let's listen to that. Say yes to it. I hope this too in my work. Of, I often say there's a choir of voices inside of us. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> and and it's finding there's that voice that knows, right? But unfortunately, it's usually the quietest. It's usually the voice that's not interested in like demanding. Right. It's not pushy. It's not pushy. It's a whisper. It's a whisper. Beautiful. Yeah. This is lovely. Thank you. Because, you know, Gurdjieff, he said the idea of the individual is an illusion. He said, we are legion. And I thought, that's powerful. And then I don't even know this guy because nobody talks about him anymore. Roberto Asiagioli. He did a system called psychosynthesis. He was a contemporary of Freud's and Jung's. So when I was in graduate study all this stuff, it was his system that made the most sense because his idea was there was a capital S self, and there were all these things he called subpersonalities. We are legion. And he said the work is, you know, there's a reason why we have all these different selves. You gotta hear from them. But you gotta hear from them from the source, from capital S self. Or else you're just bouncing around, not knowing what's true for you, 
fulfilling desires that actually aren't the true self desires, like addictions. But we have to give airtime to the, what you call the choir. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody has their voice. Right. The problem is if we don't really listen, everybody's at a key. If everybody's listening to each other, nothing like sitting there and listen to a choir. Yeah, I really appreciate that addition to the notion because I hadn't thought of it that way. Often, often I find when I sit with people, I get the parts to talk to each other. I'm exactly. like, okay, yeah. you know, let's let's have them talk. Let's instead of them just shouting at you. Um, but I love that notion of right. A choir can be really beautiful when it's in key, when it's really together. Yeah. I love that addition. Yeah, because in separation, nobody has real empathy for each other. Again, going back to your beautiful term, vulnerability, even intra-psychically, if one part hears from another part and feels empathy, there's an opening. And then both open, and then now they're singing in harmony. If there's no empathy, if there's a split, then they're almost fighting against each other completely unnecessarily. Same in a marriage, right? And it's so easy. I mean, I just am so struck by how easy it is to fight oneself, to fight another, to... I mean, it, it really... I still have this question of why do we have a faulty carburetor? Because it just <laughs> it does seem to me that there is this faulty carburetor that it's just so easy to default to lack of empathy. Right. Towards one... I mean, hugely towards oneself. And, yes. and then, obviously, hard to give to another... We're not giving it to ourselves. Certainly. I love these types of conversations because to me, they give me hope. They remind me, oh, right, there's something real that I'm doing. I don't know if I've come to the point yet of really just accepting this game and finding total joy in it. I kind of feel like I look at you and I'm like, oh, that's the, I think you have found enjoyment in this game. I think I'm still like, why is this game <laughs> set up this way? And I'm still struggling with the rules, you know? Um, so I appreciate that. And, and I think things like this perhaps help me accept the game that there's just, I don't understand all of it. And let me just try to make it as fun as possible. Well, first of all, I don't have total joy. <laughs> Sometimes I know how to surf a wave. Sometimes it throws me to the ground and it gets ugly. Just for the record. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think there's a part of me that's still like looking to be able to surf the wave all the time. Yeah. You know, and I, I get thrown and then I'm like, I haven't yet fully accepted, although I think there's, it's coming, that being so, thrown is part of the game. If I can reverse roles. Yeah. So if you're a six-year-old, he tries to do something and blows it. And he starts to feel bad about himself. What does good Papa Josh say? It, it's all good. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're okay. I just, I soothe the moment. You hold his beauty, his goodness. Yeah. And okay, you fell. <clears throat> now we'll get up and you let him know he's not alone in it and you don't shame him and you don't rage against him, hopefully. I still rage against God. I still rage against life. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah. How do we bring that good Papa to you? Yeah. To, uh, to me. Totally. How do we do it for ourselves? Because it's so organic to go, oh, sweetie, you fell. Come here, baby. What were you trying to do? That's, it's easy to do it for ourselves because maybe we haven't quite been raised that way or who knows what. It's hard to say to ourselves, okay, sweetie, yeah, you blew that one. Totally. Now what? I mean, even that is so beautiful. Like, that to me captures such the essence of our conversation. 
I'm going to use a very loaded word, but how do we love at every moment? Yeah. How do we live from a place of love? How to ourselves, to others, to life, to nature? So again, if you will, so what does that mean to you? What does the word love mean to you in that context? I guess I hold love as like, how do I see, at, at a fundamental, how do I see the good? in this how do i see the good you know i'm still seeing the good in my son how do i hold that how do i help you see the good of this moment even though your toy is broken right. <laughs> like how do i hold like we can survive this we are at a at, like we are okay that is a thing that is beautiful feels less elusive to me but still is amazing to me that boy if i could really come from that place and do it all the time isn't it interesting it's so elusive and yet it's so simple it's so simple it's just i see you i'm moved by you i've got you and to apply that to ourselves is not complex we just forget don't know don't think to do it one of the things that's been real nice about doing this podcast and talking to different people is I joke that I like shake my fist and I, why are you designed it this way? But now as I've talked to people and done this more and more, I'm like, God, we are amazing. Like it's amazing that we actually have this ability that we can return to self. Yes. After so much pain that, that it's really available constantly. It's in ex- uh, extinguishable. Yeah. It doesn't go away. Yeah. We can always come home. It's amazing, right? It is. I mean, it is. I mean, for people like you and I who were raised good enough families, it's one thing. People who fathers were raping them when they were two years old and up until they're 13 or something, how does that person go on? How do they come home? And they can, which is stunning to me. Just like you said, it's so impressive that these people can seek out a way of being in the world that is not filled with such suffering to come back home to themselves. I, I have inordinate respect for them. And I think that's what every religion speaks to. Is knock on the door, it'll be open. But you have to knock on the door. You have to reach out and want it. You draw me to another question that I've always wondered. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why do I have to knock on the door? Why don't you just... Why aren't you running towards me? Why is the door closed? <laughs> Why is the door with? closed to begin with? You know, do you have some sense of that question, or you just sort of accepted that for some reason we have to sort of make the call, but it, the call will always be answered? I don't know. That goes back to our earlier question, and I, I literally have never found a satisfying answer to that. I, what I do find over and over and over again in my own life is when I do reach out something changes. But there has to be a level of vulnerability attached to it. I have a story. Back to that Christian apologist community that I was in for whatever it was, six weeks. I was reading all kinds of uh, spiritual literature, Christian, Judas, uh, Jewish, uh, some Buddhism, just trying to find what the hell's going on here. You know, I'm all of 22 years old. And I was raised Catholic but rejected it. So I was all in turmoil. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk up to that hill. I'm going to get on my knees just like they taught me in catechism. I'm going to put my hands together, and I'm going to say this thing I have to say to God. And I walked up to the hill, knelt down just like a good Catholic boy, and I put my hands together, and I said, God, 
and I heard a voice. I literally heard a voice and it said, wait. You've been good at waiting, wait. Now, I already knew enough about psychology to think of the Rosenthal effect. You know, I'm making this up. So I shook my head, you know, went back to the prayer. And I got God, and I realized energy, the anxiety, the tension in my body was gone, 100% gone. And I was at peace. And I just knelt there for a while, not knowing what to make of it, until I realized I didn't make up that voice. It was a voice. I have no idea what it's saying. It told me to wait, that I was good at it. And it repeated wait. So it made no sense on one level, except that its direction was clear. Things are happening. You're not alone. Chill out. You don't have to be tight about this. And that was the first time I heard a voice that I've heard many times since then. But when I hear it, it's because I'm in that state of I've, something's got to happen. I, I need something. I open to a vulnerability that's sometimes scary. And that's when I'm knocking on the door. And every time I do that, the door opens in one way or another. That's ground for me. I know it's not ground for many, many people. And some people would still think, especially psychology types, sweetheart, you're making that shit up. <laughs> as best as I can tell, it ain't me. God's a loaded term, you know, higher power, whatever we want to say. But I do think it's, I have found this work, it's impossible not to have that here. Yes, we can work with finding the true self. But I think if we really want to drop into home, some relationship with something bigger has to be part of it. Yes. And I'm like you. I don't know what the word God means. I don't know if there is a God. If there is a God, I don't know what his, her, it's. To me, it's all metaphor. But to go back to our earlier term that you used, which is love, that's enough for me. That could be bigger than us. That's what joins us together. That makes you a brother instead of a, a competitor in the field. Why'd you refer to Josh? Why didn't you refer to me? <laughs> Waste energy, you know, that we're against each other. As opposed to, like, how I genuinely feel right now is, here's a good man who does good work. And he's out in the world doing what I value. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. That's love, right? Yeah, totally. totally. I mean, for me, I'll just speak of my own healing, my own story. Speaking of, like, feeling alone finding some mysticism, some spiritual belief yes. some, was crucial in really helping me also not feel alone. It was important that I realized my connection to humans and built ways of feeling more connected with people. But it was also crucial for me, at the end of the day, when I am longing for something and it doesn't seem to be here, that I can say, dear whomever, I need your help. Yes. I'm just struggling with whatever. I'm desiring whatever. Please manifest it and allow it to not just be under my control. Because I think there's an unhealthy thing of suddenly I have to create everything, right? I have to bend the world to my will. Like, no, there's also like, let me submit and just ask for help and, yes. and know you are there and want to help me. There's a great narrative in so much literature that tells us we're alone, that we're separate. And then there's other literature, not as widely acclaimed, that actually that's an illusion. And how do we come home to that? That we're really not alone. I think that's where quiet, peace, that's where we find it. Even if it's in, like, you know, please help me, a prayer. Just the reaching out has such power.
Thank you. There's a lot here. I'm going to have a hard time editing <laughs> things out because <laughs> there's so many great things here. So I just really do appreciate your time. Do appreciate you doing this with me and giving me your wisdom to, Thank you. to wrestle with. Yeah, just so you know, I had no idea what to expect. I've never done anything like this. I really appreciate how you do the work you do. I felt comfortable. I felt open. And I just let thoughts flow as they flow. And again, if you come back Friday and ask me, we may have a very different discussion. But I, I love the contact. It felt really good. So thank you. Thank you, Randall Elefano, for sharing your wisdom with us. And a shout out to my best bud, Justin Reed, for the music you hear in each episode. If you want to reach out to either of these individuals, there are links in the show notes. So check those out. And of course, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. If you're digging these conversations, please help us spread the word by telling people directly or through social media about this podcast. Tune in again for another great episode.